Today on the Matt Walsh Show, it could be a Babylon B headline, but it's tragically real. The State Department issued a statement yesterday calling for the Taliban to be inclusive and representative. Our country is run by people who are completely out of touch with all semblance of reality. We can't hope to solve Afghanistan's problems if we can't solve that problem. We'll talk about that. Also, Joe Biden makes his excuses in a speech yesterday. He's been roundly panned for the speech, and for good reason. But was he actually right about some of what he said? We'll discuss. And the governor of Tennessee tells the state's public schools that they cannot issue mask mandates. Then Nashville schools say, hey, we're going to do it anyway. And in our daily cancellation, we'll talk about Lizzo's claims that uh, her critics are fatphobic, sexist, and racist. All of that and more today on The Matt Walsh Show. You know what I really don't like? It's uh, feeling nauseous. It's a terrible feeling. I, this is my personal view, viewpoint. I'm not opposing it on anybody else, but my personal view is, uh, is I don't like feeling sick. But sometimes I do, especially when I'm in the car, you know, if I have to, uh, God forbid, take an Uber, which these days costs $40 to go about five miles, so I try not to. Uh, but I, I, I struggle with car sickness, which is why I'm always making sure that I bring with me my trusty relief band, which is the number one FDA-cleared anti-nausea wristband that has been clinically proven to quickly relieve and effectively prevent nausea and vomiting associated with motion sickness, anxiety, migraine, hangover, morning sickness, chemotherapy, and so much more. Uh, the product is drug-free, which is great. Even better, it's non-drowsy. Some of those other anti-nausea medications you might find at the gas station or something, they don't work as well. And also, they're going to put you to sleep, and you might not be in a situation where you can go right to sleep, especially if you're you know, driving or something. Relief Band is the only over-the-counter wearable device that has been used in hospitals and oncology clinics to treat nausea and vomiting, so you know it works. So you can ensure that nausea is never the reason to miss out on life's important moments. Right now, Relief Band has an exclusive offer just for Matt Walsh listeners. If you go to reliefband.com, use promo code Walsh, you'll receive 20% off, plus free shipping, and a no-questions-asked 30-day money-back guarantee. So head to R-E-L-I-E-F-B-A-N-D.com and use our promo code Walsh for 20% off. We begin today with uh, some good news, a job opportunity in an up-and-coming sector. The job search site Daybook has this Help Wanted ad posted by the United Nations Entity for Gender Equality and the Empowerment of Women, also known as UN Women for short. In what appears to be a very real listing, UN Women is calling for a partnership specialist to advance gender equality and women's empowerment in Kabul, Afghanistan. It says that the length of the initial contract will be one year, which conveniently is also the life expectancy of whoever takes the job. There's no information on on how the position became available. We can use our imagination. And also, we're not told anything about the dress code, which at this point we can assume is probably restrictive. But it does say that the key traits needed for this job are respect for diversity, integrity, professionalism, and, of course, a death wish. Um, I trust that a a whole flock of pink-haired Antifa feminists will be applying for this job at once. I mean, why wouldn't they? There's there's plenty of misogyny to fight in Afghanistan, plenty of fascism to fight. I'm sure they'll be on the first plane over there if they can find a flight that goes in. Now, in fairness, we can maybe assume, maybe, maybe, that this listing was posted before the events of the last few days. That would make it slightly less crazy. that, That assumption, though, may be giving too much credit to the brain-dead bureaucrats who are currently running the entire Western world. After all, it was just yesterday that a spokesman for the State Department, a man appropriately named Ned, got up in front of cameras and said this. Additionally, the UN Security Council issued a joint press statement earlier today calling for a new government that is united, inclusive, and representative, including with the full full and meaningful participation of women. The council spoke with one voice to underscore that Afghanistan must abide 
by its international obligations, including to international humanitarian law, and ensure the safety and security of all Afghans and international citizens. Well, Ned has spoken, ladies and gentlemen. Not just Ned from the State Department, but all of the Neds of the UN Security Council, they have all spoken in one voice. The Taliban must, must we say, must be representative and inclusive. We not only demand that the 7th century barbarian horde currently running Afghanistan must tolerate women, but that they must in fact include women in their government. Now, I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, this is outrageous. This is stupid. This is embarrassing. This is insane. I mean, how could they tell the Taliban to respect women and not mention that they should also represent and include members of the LGBT community? You know, how has the State Department to this point not so much as suggested that the Taliban consider appointing a trans woman as a warlord of some village somewhere at a minimum? Well, don't worry. Uh, They'll get around to that, I'm sure. For now, the focus is on insisting that men who literally cover their women in burlap sacks must magically leave those old ways behind and embrace Western egalitarian principles. What if they don't? Well, I'll tell you what happens if they don't. The State Department will monitor the situation, and they stand ready at a moment's notice to meet with the UN Security Council and form a resolution to be voted on by the General Assembly to issue a written condemnation using the strongest language to scold the Taliban for their inappropriate and frankly unpleasant and, dare I say, unacceptable conduct. What else do you want? Well, perhaps you want instead a minimal amount of sanity and competence from those who lead us. On that score, you're out of luck. Uh, these are, after all, the same people who flew pride flags in Kabul, uh, who, who tell us that the greatest terror threat we face are parents complaining to their school boards about masking mandates and a guy who stole a, a lectern from the Capitol building. These are people who've been, who've been working diligently to instill cultural sensitivity in our military. The people who issue military recruitment ads that look like Disney princess films. This is what we get. This is what we get specifically from a ruling class that is itself immersed in leftist ideology. They are, they are immersed in it the way that a man might be immersed in lava after being thrown into a volcano. There's no rescue. There's no hope. They are consumed by this lethal substance melting into it and becoming eventually indistinguishable from the substance itself. The lesson here, if you hadn't learned it by now, is that the prevailing religion of the day in this country and across the West, the religion of leftism, is by its nature entirely detached from and hostile to reality. This is why our leaders are incapable of leading. They are incapable of doing anything at all, of running a city or a federal government, much less a global imperial empire. They're limited, ironically, much the same way that the Taliban is limited. The Taliban is frozen 1,300 years in the past, doomed to live like savages in misery and filth, and to drag whatever nation or province they run down with them. Their beliefs will not allow for peace or advancement or flourishing. Won't allow it. Which means, by the way, um, if if you hear, because in response to the the State Department saying they need to include women, there are actually some people, at least if social media is any indication, who, who are hopeful for this because the Taliban has said, and I, I just saw an Al Jazeera headline that was, uh, that was uh, just published, the Taliban has said that, oh yeah, we'll include women in the government, sure, we'll do that. We're, we're not going to kill anybody, we've turned a new leaf. And there are people taking this seriously, well, hey, let's give them a chance, who knows. 
It's not possible. Okay, if you're dumb enough to believe it, it's not, it can, it's not, it's not possible that it's, it's not just that it's probably not true, probably, it can't be. It won't be. Their belief system will not allow it. They would have to renounce their belief system first. Now, our ruling class, constricted by their own religion, driven into madness by a worldview which militates against truth and common sense every step of the way, they cannot recognize this reality about the Taliban because they cannot recognize any reality at all. They are frozen in their own way, incapacitated, useless, paralyzed by their own lunacy. Now, it hasn't led them to the same sort of barbarism that we see from the Taliban, but it does cause different kinds of barbarism. And not all that dissimilar in some cases. For example, radical Islam supports female genital mutilation, which is a terrible thing. Leftism supports the genital mutilation of both males and females, except for the purpose of turning males into females and vice versa. In fact, the type of genital mutilation endorsed by the left is even more barbaric and insane if such a thing is possible. The point is that we need to see this sort of madness from the State Department calling for inclusivity and representation among the Taliban in the greater context of a government suffocated by its own ideology, presiding over a country which is collectively choking to death from the same cause. This is all the more reason, as I argued yesterday, why we should put our colonial dreams to rest. I mean, we're run by men who can barely tie their own shoes. How do you expect them to rule an empire? Now let's get to our five headlines. And now a word from uh, one of the newer sponsors on the show with maybe my favorite name, BioOptimizer. You know, one of the best things that you could possibly do to improve your health is get at least seven hours of quality sleep every night. Uh, but, you know, there's, there's hundreds of reasons why you might not get enough sleep. As a father of four, I have specifically four reasons why I don't get enough sleep. But one of the biggest reasons might be, aside from having kids wake you up, it might also be magnesium deficiency. You see, magnesium is key to getting good sleep, but 75% of people are actually magnesium deficient. Is it any wonder then that so many people are having sleep problems and then having all the health problems that come from having sleep problems? So to help fix these sleep difficulties and fully enjoy the calming effects of magnesium, check out Magnesium Breakthrough by BioOptimizers. It's the only organic full-spectrum magnesium supplement that includes seven unique forms of magnesium. You got to try this and experience the effects for yourself. Magnesium Breakthrough is 100% organic and made with vegetarian, non-GMO ingredients, which is extremely important to me on a personal level. You know that. So for an exclusive offer for my listeners, go to magbreakthrough.com forward slash Walsh and use Walsh 10 during checkout to save 10% off. So I got to mention this. This is sad. I mean, this is really sad. This makes me sad in the same way that you know, you felt sad seeing the kid who sat alone at the lunch table in the cafeteria in school. That kind of a pitiful kind of sadness. Um, and it really ruins your lunch, honestly, to see what a loser he is. So some woman named uh, Donna Provencher, who uh, I guess apparently is a journalist and writes for the Washington Post or has written for them. She tweeted this and she tagged me. Um, she tagged, she wanted me to see this. So I feel, you know, I, to call to your attention and publicly mock her, I feel that uh, I, I am doing what she wanted me to do. So this is what she tweeted. She says, literally the greatest birthday gift I've ever been given, honoring my favorite hobby, undermining everything Matt Walsh stands for. And it's a picture of her holding a sweatshirt that says, not now, sweetie, mommy's cyberbullying Matt Walsh. And then there's a 
a middle finger, I guess. I, I don't know. The middle finger is she giving the middle finger to her kid because she's talking to her kid in the sweater? I don't know. The point is, you know, I, I have never heard of this person. I don't know who she is. And yet I am her favorite hobby. How sad is that? And she wears my name on her body now. I will forget about her existence shortly after we finish talking about this. And she'll go on stewing over me. Imagining that she's cyberbullying me. So this is worse than the kid at the lunch table. This is the kid at the lunch table is sitting there alone telling himself that he's the most popular kid in school. It's just, it's, it's very sad. She spent probably countless hours, apparently, tweeting at me, and, and I, I never even noticed it. Well, she brags to the people around her, look at me cyberbullying this guy. By the way, can we just acknowledge the elephant in the room here? Like, um, that shirt would be pathetic no matter whose name is on it, okay? But it's worse when you put me on it because I'm not famous enough to justify that. So it makes it even worse. Because a good number of people who will see that, well, they have no idea who I am. So you'll have to explain me to them. You'll have to like give my biography to them. Actively tell people about me and promote me all to get back around to the sweatshirt, which after you explain it will seem even lamer and weirder to the person you're talking to than it did before you explained it. If she walks around wearing that, how many times is she going to be stopped and say by people saying, what, who's, who's Matt Walsh? Are you talking? Oh, he's this guy uh, on the internet uh, and uh, I don't like him. I, I tweet mean comments to him a lot and, so I, I put it on a sweater, and the person will just slowly back away. Okay. Uh, all right. Good. Good job. By the way, she deleted the tweet after I responded, so that tweet has now been re- deleted. But um, the sweater is out there somewhere. I don't know if it's available for sale, but it's out there. Okay. So Joe Biden uh, addressed the public yesterday and uh, gave a pretty short speech about the situation in Afghanistan, took no questions, hurried off the stage. Well, hurried as much as he can possibly hurry, kind of shuffled off the stage afterwards, took no questions from the press. Uh, we know that if this was if this was Trump in a similar situation and, and giving a speech, even people who hate Trump would have to acknowledge that he would have sat there for an hour or stood there rather taking questions from the press. Every single question hostile to him, but he would have have stood there reveling in it, taking the questions. But Joe Biden can't take any hostile questions. He's off the stage. Um, The speech itself has been roundly panned by really everyone on all sides. And that's pretty rare that a a speech given by a politician is going to be panned by both sides, especially when it's a Democrat politician. The media hated it for the most part, some exceptions. Uh, Certainly everyone on the right hated it. Let's play a quick clip of uh, the speech just to get the kind of the flavor of it. Here it is. I've argued for many years that our mission should be narrowly focused on counterterrorism, not counterinsurgency or nation building. So what's happened? Afghanistan political leaders gave up and fled the country. The Afghan military collapsed sometime without trying to fight. If anything, the developments of the past week reinforced that ending U.S. military involvement in Afghanistan now was the right decision. American troops cannot and should not be fighting in a war and dying in a war that Afghan forces are not willing to fight for themselves. 
Uh, I, I have to tell you, I feel dirty listening to a Biden speech and agreeing with anything he says. But uh, I did, in fact, agree with those clips there. I, did, I agreed with pretty much all of that. Now, that doesn't make it a good speech, okay? Because for, for one thing, in, in terms of delivery, you could tell that he could barely, he barely knows what he's saying. Uh, you could see it in his eyes. You could tell in the way he's delivering it. He's, he's reading the words and it's not registering in his brain. So that's, a, that's a pretty big problem. Um, and also, it was an excuse-making speech, and it, it did not deal with the real issue and the thing that has caused uh, and, and precipitated most of the criticism, which is the, the way that the, the, the withdrawal was handled, the way that the pullout was handled. He, didn't, he just glossed right over that. Common political technique, also pretty smart political technique. To talk about the thing, you know, you're, you're going to talk about the thing that you want to talk about. You're going to frame it the way you want to frame it. You're not going to talk about what your critics are talking about. But um, we can't really call. So it was it, it, it may or may not have been a politically smart speech. I guess we can't even call it that because it was panned by everybody. Um, there's probably no speech he could have given that would have changed much of anything for him politically. But he did avoid talking about the main thing, which is how the pullout was handled and why it was handled that way. Instead, he's talking about why we needed to leave. As far as that goes, the reasons that he gives, putting the the pullout to the side, the reasons that he gives for leaving, that I agree with. And you know what? If he had given that, that exact speech six months ago, and in fact, he did give almost that exact speech six months ago when he was laying out why we had to leave. And that's, I agree with it. The problem is that he's giving it again now when that's not really the issue. The issue is the manner, the manner of leaving. But even with that acknowledged, um, he, he is, it, it is true that the Afghan military gave up. The entire Afghan government fled the country. He should have known that that was going to happen. I think he did know, or at least the people really running our government knew that it was going to happen. Should have planned for that. Should have taken that into consideration. Made sure that we could evacuate all of our people beforehand, before all of that happened. But there's no getting, but there's no getting around the fact that they did, in fact, flee the country and the Afghan military gave up. And I, I don't see how... Yeah, you can put all the blame on, on Biden that you want. Fine by me. Um... But I don't see how the Afghan military escapes all blame. The way people are talking about them, it's like they're a bunch of infants, like they're toddlers. Oh, poor Afghan military. We can't expect anything from them. Really, we can't? 300,000 of them, supposedly, trained and equipped for 20 years? We abandoned them. We aban- 20 years later, we abandoned them? 20 years later? That's what you call abandonment? When you're left to defend your own country after 20 years, abandoned? Now, if you want to talk about abandoning our own people on the ground and not having a, 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 a plan in place to get them out, yeah, there's abandonment. Heads should roll over that. There should be resignations over that. There should be, there should be prison sentences over that. But if you're going to sit here and tell me that the Afghan military was abandoned, it's their country. What do you mean abandoned to their own country? 
If you're a military and you can't defend your own nation after 20 years of being trained, then whose fault is that? And I don't want to hear anything about, oh, well, they, they didn't have air support. Yeah, that's the point. We're leaving. Take care of yourself now. Did the Taliban have air support? Well, they didn't have the intelligence on the ground. How much intelligence does the Taliban have? These, this, seven, this gang of 7th century savage scumbags? Are they flying in there with jets? And you got, you, got, you got a quarter million of you and you just leave? You don't even try? Even if I were to say that they're, well, they're put in a difficult situation because the, the, our military isn't there to guide them and help them, fine. It's a difficult spot. So you, you don't even try then? You, you don't even try is what we're being told. That's what, so if you're, if you're the military and you're, you're put in a tough spot, don't even try. Give in to forces that you outnumber three or four to one. Yeah, can we play this here? Here's the Taliban, by the way, after they took over the presidential palace. Let's play this. Here's them. Uh, they're, they're in a gym, checking out some of the gym equipment. There they are. So these are the guys that just conquered Afghanistan. Take a look at this. How much are these guys benching? 40 pounds, maybe, at most? Look at that dude. Look, he's, he's trying to... He has no idea. Well, he's never used a, any kind of, of uh, gym equipment in his life, clearly. All right, that guy was bicep curling about, uh, about 15 pounds. And these, these are the dudes. There was, a, there was another video of them uh, taking over an amusement park, and they're, like, playing on the bumper cars. And, and these people just conquered Afghanistan in two days. Can't even say they conquered. Because there was no, there was no fight. It wasn't even a surrender. It was just like, yeah, all right, you can have it. Here you go. Country's yours. I don't, I don't buy that. I, I don't, I don't buy absolving. You, you are duty bound to defend your own country. That's why you're in the military. Absolving them of blame. Give me a break. Come on. Um, a little more Afghanistan stuff here. So. Uh, well, here, here, this is related. MSNBC had uh, an interesting way of talking about the Taliban's takeover. They said it was a, a peaceful takeover, much like the BLM riots with buildings burning in the background was actually mostly peaceful. The takeover by the Taliban was also peaceful. Let's play that from MSNBC. Hi, Matthew. Well, the country is essentially now in the hands of the Taliban for all intents and purposes. Uh, they've taken over Kabul. The president, or should I now say the former president of Afghanistan, Ashraf Ghani, has fled the country. The Taliban have taken over the presidential palace. They've renamed the country the Islamic Emirate, taken down the Afghan flag and hoisted up uh, their own colors. Uh, and it's been a relatively... Uh, peaceful, if you like, a process. They haven't had to fire a lot of shots. There hasn't been a lot of bloodshed in Kabul. It was a pretty straightforward takeover for them. Uh, they've also taken over the airport. Uh, there have been reports of shots fired at the airport and Taliban fighters are, are, are all over the place. Uh, but they're not in any sort of clashes with U.S. personnel. Although commercial flights have so far been suspended, military evacuation flights are still taking 
taking place. And I, from what we understand right now, most of the U.S. personnel are at the airport now trying to get onto various uh, evacuation flights out of the country with a very few security personnel left yes. at the embassy burning what's left of sensitive paperwork. Yeah, everyone's kind of dunking on this, uh, on that report from MSNBC saying that it was a peaceful takeover. But actually, it, it, it was. It doesn't mean that the Taliban is peaceful. It doesn't mean that, that, that uh, what's about to follow isn't going to be brutal and, and horrible, isn't already brutal and horrible. But it is inarguably the case that the takeover of the country was peaceful. Why? As you said, there was a, nobody fired a shot. The country was handed over to these people. It, 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 it would have been non-peaceful if the Afghan military and government had, had any interest whatsoever in defending their own nation. Then it would have been non-peaceful. I mean, the Taliban was perfectly willing to go in there and kill lots of people, but they didn't have to. So, yeah, that's actually true. That's, that's, look at me, I'm defending Biden and MSNBC. That right there, what you just heard there, mostly an accurate reflection of what actually happened. If, it's, if it sounds outrageous to you, well, it is outrageous. And you can't put all the blame on, uh, he says, the only thing I take issue with is that he says, well, there's, there's no uh, conflicts with the U.S. military. The military is not firing at them, which is also true, but that's not the point. The issue is, where's the Afghan military? Nowhere to be found. They ran away. But, you know, that's all, again, it's all our fault, right? They, no, no, no attempt at all to defend their own people in their own country. No attempt. Zero attempt, and that's our fault. Okay. Sure. All right, let's move on. Bill de Blasio has continued making his hostage demands, hoping to uh, browbeat New Yorkers into getting vaccinated. And here's the latest from him. As much as you want to celebrate the city's return, how concerned are you that we're at a very precarious point on the Delta resurgence? Well, it's a very important question, Andrew, and I thank you. Uh, and we're always looking for that balance. But I'll tell you something. This is absolutely strategic to say to people to fully participate in the life of the city and to love and enjoy this city, go get vaccinated. Uh, we believe it's going to make a huge impact. We're obviously seeing a real uptick in vaccinations already. We made a decision weeks and weeks ago. The whole ball game is vaccination. And once you make that kind of profound strategic decision, you throw everything you got at it. Uh, we are not interested in half measures. We're interested in vaccination. So making vaccination something that allows you to enjoy all that's good in life and knowing that that first dose provides protection to begin with, but much more importantly, gets you on the road to the second dose. And that's what we see overwhelmingly, that people go back and get that second dose. Um, that's how we built this strategy. So we're watching every day uh, for any uh, areas of concern, but the key is always to move vaccination as aggressively as possible. Vaccination is what allows you to enjoy all that is good in life. That's, an, that's interesting because there are plenty of unvaccinated people out in the country right now who are, perf who are enjoying life quite a bit, uh, having no problem enjoying all that's good in life. So, no, it's not vaccination that enables you to enjoy all that's good in life. Vaccination really has nothing to do with it one way or another. Um, 
it's it's more so to say Bill de Blasio is declaring that if you don't get vaccinated, he has he has created this arbitrary standard now. And if you don't get vaccinated, he will actively try to prevent you from enjoying all that's good in life. So that's what he should be saying if he was being honest. If you don't get vaccinated, I will try to prevent you from enjoying your life. That, that is what he's saying. I mean, it's, it's not quite phrasing it that way, but almost. If you, don't get, if you don't inject this substance into your body, I will prevent you from enjoying life. That's what we're being told from the mayor of the largest city in the United States of America, allegedly a free country. Inject this into your body right now. Don't ask questions about it. Don't question it. Put it in your body or I will prevent you from enjoying life. I will take everything from you if you don't put this in your body right now. By the way, bodily autonomy is really important. My body, my choice. In addition, unrelated to that, put this in your body right now or I will, or I will strip your life of all meaning. That's what's happening in the United States of America, and it's being allowed. It's being tolerated. Speaking of tolerance. Um, here's uh, something on the positive end, though. Governor Bill Lee here in uh, Tennessee. We like Bill Lee here. And he just signed an executive order. He said, uh, no one cares more about health and well-being of a child than a parent. I'm signing an EO today that allows parents to opt their children out of a school mask mandate if either a school board or health board enacts, enacts one over... Um, a district. Now, here's an example of, uh, of something that a governor actually has the authority to do because we're talking about public schools. Those are government institutions run by the state. Bill Lee is the governor of the state. So he, he's, he can do this. And he's putting an executive order in, into place saying, hey, you can, at school, if you want to have, have a mask policy, that's fine. But you got to allow children and families to opt out of it. You're going to let them make a decision. Now, that's called good leadership. That's called uh, discernment, which is something we rarely get from our leaders. But then this from WKRN here in town says, the director of, Ma Na of Metro Nashville Public Schools announced the district will continue to enforce its mask policy despite Governor Bill Lee's executive order allowing parents to opt out of mask mandates. Uh, director of schools, Dr. Adrian Battle, said school districts were not notified before the executive order was released. I don't know why that makes a difference. He said, um, the governor's executive order was released without prior notice to school districts for review or comment. As such, Metro schools will continue to require face masks pursuant to the rules adopted by the board as we further review this order and explore all the options available to the district to best protect the health of our students, teachers, and staff. Well, they need to further review the order. Okay. What is there to review? It's pretty short. It's like one paragraph. And all it says is... Uh, you can't force people to wear masks. They can opt out. That's it. There's not a lot to review. The Nashville School Board says, well, we got we to take a moment here, really study this thing. We need about, we need about five, six, seven weeks. Got to go through this line by line. It's very, it's very complex. No, really what they're saying is, oh, I don't care what you say, Governor. We're a public school. We're run by the state. You're the governor of the state, but I, I don't give a damn what you say. We're going to do what we want. Try and stop us. What are you going to do? Send the state police in? Start cart, cart the school board off to jail? Sounds good to me personally. I doubt that's going to happen. See, this is how um, 
this is how Democrats operate. Assuming that the people running Nashville public schools are all Democrats, which I'd say is a pretty safe assumption. At least 98% Democrat. We could assume. This, is how, this is how they operate. They say, no, we don't, we don't care about the law. We don't care about authority. We don't care about anything. We don't care about any of that. Chain of command doesn't matter. We're going to do what we want to do. Try and stop us. An attitude, and approach that I wish uh, Republicans would consider adopting every once in a while. And finally, one other thing on, uh, on masking and schools and everything else. Eric Feigel-Ding, who's an epidemiologist and a trusted, one of those trusted experts of the expert class, posted this video of a teacher crying about going back to school. And uh, if this sounds like something that you may have heard last year, Oh, yeah, it is exactly like last year, but this is this year now. The teachers are still crying and saying they shouldn't have to go back to school. Um, they, they want two years now of schools being shut down. And uh, she's crying about going, much like a child might cry about going back to school, so is this teacher. And here's what she has to say. I have had my regular back-to-school anxieties, things like, am I going to have enough time? Am I going to get my lessons done? Are the students going to be okay? But this year... There is this overshadowing apprehension that's clouding my normal back-to-school thoughts. And it's with, it's with thoughts like, if I die, who's going to take care of my children? And if I end up in the hospital, how am I going to pay those bills? And if I give COVID to my students, or my own children, and they die. How am I going to live with that? And I want you to ask any teacher how they feel this year, and I'm sure that they will tell you that they have never experienced anxiety like this. Never experienced anxiety like this, except for last year. Right, as the teachers love talking about their anxiety. This is never no one has ever suffered like we are suffering. We're being, we're being told to go, to go to work? You want us to do our jobs? This is unimaginable. Meanwhile, almost the, re- the rest of society has been going to work and doing their jobs. For some people, the, this, the entire time. Never stopped. Almost everyone else now is back on the job. Working around people. Doing, you know, doing what they're supposed to do. Um, and except the teachers. They, they refuse. No, it's to, to send them back is a, is a horrible oppression. You know, what? I see a video like that and it does upset me. It does upset and it does distress me to see her tears because I am upset to think and to realize once again that our, te- that our kids are being taught by such self-serving, selfish, narcissistic morons. That is what is upsetting to me. To see an idiot like this. And that, that is the, uh, the, the amount of contempt at this point that we should heap on teachers who are still crying about having to do their jobs. Get another job, lady. If you still... Do you was that what you really want? You want two years of the kids not in school because of your unreasonable, paranoid, psychotic, delusional fear. Get another job. 
please. There's 10 million of them available. You could go do anything else. We're also told all the time that teachers are underpaid. They don't get paid a lot. So you, you should be able to go out and find a better paying job. Leave the kids alone, please. You don't want to go back to the job to, to work. We don't want you back at work. All right, before we get to reading the comments here, uh, we also want to play this for you. This is this is another football-related item. We had one yesterday uh, about Tim Tebow, who, by the way, I just saw before we started shooting, Tim Tebow uh, is had, was cut by the Jacksonville Jaguars. So there was a lot of controversy that we talked about yesterday, Tim Tebow and his first uh, preseason game. The fact that he was on the field at all was very upsetting for uh, people in sports media. They said, well, what about Colin Kaepernick? Uh, and now he's been cut from the team. And I, but I'm sure that will not stop the claims of racism. All the people who said that it's racist, that Tim Tebow's given this opportunity, Colin Kaepernick wasn't. Are they going to go back around and apologize and say, oh, well, I guess this wasn't a racist conspiracy. I mean, they cut him after all. I guess they were just giving him a chance to try out. He wasn't good enough and they let him go. I doubt they'll apologize. Um, another football-related item. The NFL has added a new point of emphasis for refs this year. Uh, taunting is a point of emphasis. That's always been against the rules, but now it's a point of emphasis, which means that they're going to be throwing a lot of flags for it. Uh, players who taunt will get a 15-yard penalty. And we saw what this will look like during the Colts preseason game on Sunday. Go ahead and play this, this clip here. This is the Colts preseason game. Um, well, you see a great run here. Keeps the legs going. Against the Panthers. He's, this, this guy's dragging. Right, there's the taunt, and he gets the 15 yard penalty. First of all, he drags like 10 guys about 10 yards. It's a great run, and he's excited. He's pumped up. He gets up, and he just flexes for like a second and kind of and says something to the guy on the ground, and they throw a 15 yard penalty. That's a flag. And this is, this is evidence of two things. Which is, a, which is a problem in football. First of all, the people who work in football are constantly trying to convince themselves that football is more serious than it is. They want to convince themselves because they've given their life to this. And so they want to convince themselves that it's more than just a child's game, which is what it is. Why shouldn't you taunt? It's a game. They're playing a game. That's all they're, they're, they're on, a, they're on a, a grassy field trying to get the ball across a line. It's a game. It's a fun game. I like watching it, but it is a game. But we can't have any of that in football. This is, this is, we need professionalism. Do we? In a game? Why? And also, you see the same issue that you find with any bureaucracy. And the NFL is a bureaucracy. You know, a, a non-governmental bureaucracy. Where you have a bunch of people constantly trying to justify their jobs. Because in any bureaucracy, whether it's in the NFL or the federal bureaucracy, bureaucracy at any level, um, you know, like 80% of the people there shouldn't have jobs at all. They really have nothing to do. So what they're always trying to do, their, their real job, whatever their whatever their job, their official job title is, doesn't matter. Their real job is to constantly justify the fact that they have a job. And so they're always looking for problems to solve, for things to do. And that's the NFL. So this year, here's a problem. Guys saying mean things. To other guys on the NFL field, that's a problem. That, that, you know that's, that, that'll that'll justify our jobs for another year, and we'll find a new problem next year. That's the way bureaucracies function. All right, moving on now to reading the comments. This is from Mark. Says hilarious and pathetic that Matt, who was prime age to serve after 9/11 but didn't, accursing the Afghans and being cowards. I guess he means accusing. 
Maybe a cursing would work too. Accusing the Afghans of being cowards. I served in Afghanistan as well as Iraq and had the honor of serving alongside many, many brave and honorable Afghan soldiers and prosecutors. They risked their lives fighting Al-Qaeda and its allies, unlike Matt. Also, we weren't fighting in Afghanistan because it was noble. We were there because it was in the U.S.'s interest. Well, Mark, I thank you for your service, first of all. I mean that sincerely. Um, I will say that I was 15 on 9-11, so a little young to serve at that point. By the time I was of age, we had been mired in Iraq for no justifiable reason, and thousands of young men were dying because of lies told by our intelligence agencies. Um, and uh, we had, at that point, by the time I graduated, I guess we had been in Iraq for about a year. Um, and no, I, I didn't really want to get involved in that, I admit. I respect everyone who did join. I admire you, grateful for you. Um, but no, I never, I, never f- I never felt that I was duty-bound to go fight in Iraq um, or Afghanistan. And if our country is ever invaded and my family and my community is threatened, then yes, I will be duty-bound to defend them. Um, I feel confident that I would defend them because simply for the fact that I'd rather be dead than allow harm to come to my family. And that's not a close call for me. But if I did slink away like a coward, which is kind of what you're insinuating here, if I did, if I were to run and abandon those who need me in this time of need, abandon my country to the barbarian hordes at the gate, then yes, I would not only be a coward, but a hypocrite and no man at all. That would be absolutely true. Maybe you're right that I am that. I don't think I am, but okay, whatever. None of that changes the facts as far as Afghanistan goes. None of that changes the facts. What, my, my personal character does not change the facts. So I'm going to allow you to make any assumptions about that that you want. Doesn't it change the facts on the ground? And especially doesn't change the most basic fact that a nation must be able to sustain and defend itself. And the army of a particular nation has the foremost responsibility to defend that nation. The foremost responsibility for defending a nation cannot fall on the army of a different country, superseding the responsibility of the army of that country. That's my basic point. It's certainly not an anti-U.S. Uh, military point. Quite the opposite. I'm saying I don't want to. I don't want to see any more of our young men, some of our best, sent over to that godforsaken desert to defend a country that has no interest in existing. Okay, uh, let's see. Evan says, Matt, if every single job involves working with incompetent workers, as you claimed, would you mind giving us a list of the incompetent people who work at the Daily Wire? Well, look, um, all I'm going to say, and this is true, is that last week I asked for an espresso to be made and brought to my desk, and five minutes later it had not been brought. And I had to ask twice. So, first of all, do never claim that I don't suffer. And that's all I'm going to say about that. Um, let's see. Tony says, for, for someone that doesn't do foreign coverage, Matt, you're spot on. So many good points I hadn't even thought about. Maybe you should do more of this. 
I, I hope not. I mean, right now we, we sort of have no choice but to talk, talk about these kinds of issues because it's it's the only thing that anybody is talking about. But um, as I said, as I began the show talking about yesterday, um, my focus is on what's happening in this country and the things especially that, that affect American families. And I think that's what all of our focus should be. Um, another comment says, dress your truth, Matt. Be stunning and brave with your wardrobe. So some, some, some uh, supportive comments for my tan on tan look, which I was being cyber bullied for. I guess I guess I get cyberbullied a lot. Maybe my, you know who should, who should be wearing that sweater I showed you before? My wife. She is the one who does all the cyberbullying. She is my most dedicated cyberbully. And I tell you, if if I got her that sweater, she, for her it really would be the greatest gift ever. Uh, let's see. Blake says my two-year-old son is in speech therapy, and I worry that he won't succeed as well uh, due to the masks. His therapist even said it's harder to teach speaking skills with most of their face covered. And I hate to hear that, and of course that is absolutely true, though. Um, especially, I mean, in, in speech therapy, they're making him wear the mask. I shouldn't be surprised. I kind of am. That it's almost impossible to do. When you're, you're taking the visual cues away, we don't think about it. We, don't, we, we as adults who have fully developed language skills, some of us anyway, uh, we don't really think about the visual cues that are involved in verbal communication, but they're there. And, and early on in the learning stage, especially for a child who has some, some developmental struggles, to take that away is really unthinkable. And finally, another comment says, AF is internet shorthand for as foretold. Your wife is well within her rights to cyberbully you. Well, I don't know about that. Um, so AF is as foretold. I'm skeptical. I mean, you could be right. You could be. But I don't know if the kids really use the phrase as foretold enough to need a shorthand for it. Maybe they're big fans of biblical prophetic literature. I don't know. I'll try dropping that at church on Sunday and I'll let you know how it goes. Well, I don't have to fake excitement about this one. Not that I fake it about anything else, because I'm always excited about reading all the ads, as you know. This one, though, is a totally different deal. Okay, this is an ad you need to listen to. Um, the Sweet Baby Gang. I don't have to tell you about it. You know about it. I don't have to explain it to you, because I can't even really explain it, to be honest with you. Uh, the Sweet Baby Gang, we are in the need, in need of an anthem. We need a song that encapsulates everything that the Sweet Baby Gang is. Which first you have to figure out what it is in order to encapsulate in a song. So it's a pretty big project. Uh, and that's why right now we are accepting official submissions for the Sweet Baby Gang Anthem. All submissions should be in the form of a YouTube video uh, on a link. And it will be judged by American, uh, it'll be judged sort of American Idol style by myself and other Daily Wire hosts who have been roped into this thing to take part in it. Um, and, and also you, the winner, will, you, the viewer, will ultimately decide who the winner is. So to enter, go to dailywire.com slash SBG, dailywire.com slash SBG. Again, you got to do a YouTube video. You have to have the link, submit the link, and submissions end on August 25th. And I, I think all the other, we're forcing the other hosts to read this and talk about the Sweet Baby Gang, which is maybe the best part about this, that they have to, to read it, and um, which is great. All right. Also, not as exciting, but still pretty exciting. Some of you listening may be sitting on the fence about joining The Daily Wire. If you haven't heard of our Reader's Pass, it's a great bargain for the content for just four bucks a month. The Daily Wire Reader's Pass unlocks exclusive editorial content that unpacks trending political and cultural topics penned by everyone from Ben Shapiro to Dan Crenshaw, and most importantly, me. It's only $4 a month, and you get The Reader's Pass, and you get all that content, so you got to do that. Also, Candace Owens, 
never fails to be one of the most talked about figures on Twitter. And if you want to see her live and in person, rather than just being quote tweeted, tweeted by quote tweeted, we'll just leave that in quote tweeted by angry leftists. I've got great news for you. If you sign up now as a Daily Wire member with code VIP, you'll get 25% off your new membership and be automatically entered for a chance to win a trip for two for you and a guest to the Daily Wire studios to see Candace live. Not only will you meet Candace, but you'll also get an inside look at her studio, front row seats to watch her take down leftist live and in action on her talk show, Candace. So go to dailywire.com slash subscribe with code VIP and get 25% off now, my sweet, sweet babies. Let's get to our daily cancellation. Well, with all the major world events currently unfolding, you may have missed this story, even though it has been dutifully reported by all of our major media outlets. As NBC tells us, the singer Lizzo has tearfully called out fat phobic and racist hate directed towards her Newsweek, the Huffington Post, the LA Times, Daily Beast. Many other sources have issued their own reports on this subject. Apparently, in a recent Instagram live video, Lizzo began crying about the internet trolls who are mean to her, accused them of racism and fat phobia, and complained about the deep impact that these that these random anonymous accounts have had on her self-esteem. Now, I'm sure you already agree that this was, of course, a newsworthy event, but uh, here's a little bit of that video, just so you can fully appreciate the scope and implication of this issue. Here it is. I have people who have something, something mean to say about you. And for the most part, it doesn't hurt my feelings. I don't care. I just think when uh, I'm working this hard, my my tolerance gets lower. My patience is lower. I'm more sensitive. And it gets to me. You know, we're meant to feel quite bad for Lizzo. In fact, we've been sternly instructed to feel bad for her. Uh, a post on Jezebel says that her tears are so pure. Her heartache is so deep and profound that we, quote, don't deserve Lizzo's tears. I don't really know what that means, but I'm sure it meant something to the person who wrote it. A writer for Refinery29 explains that, quote, Lizzo's joy, her steadfast belief in her right to exist and fully occupy spaces upsets people who bought into the white supremacist lie that these things, black bodies and radical beliefs, must shrink. Lizzo is beautiful, well-resourced, and has millions of fans listening to her reclaim her space. Once again, that doesn't appear to really mean anything. Is there a white supremacist conspiracy to shrink black bodies? Has Rick Moranis turned into a neo-Nazi and begun using his powers for evil? I'm not sure, but the, but the point we're supposed to take away from this is that, um, yes, that was a Honey, I Shrunk the Kids reference, kids. You, you might, you're too young for that. Um, Lizzo is, is a victim. That's the point. He's, she is a, an injured, precious flower. And this is all a major problem for the world. Actually, her tearful complaints about mean internet comments are sort of interesting when you compare them to the song she just released called Rumors. Now, in the video for that song, she twerks in a skin-tight suit while boasting that her body is goals, meaning that her body is so beautiful that other people want to look just like her. You know, they have a goal to look just like her. And she brags about walking around with, quote, her ass hanging out. Now, I know that you're, you're hoping desperately that I will let you see and hear all of this for yourself. And you're in luck because here it is. They hated on me since school, yeah. I never thought I was cool, yeah. Now me and Cardi, we cool, yeah. I love on foes, yeah. I am body goals, yeah. This from my 
So there you go. Unironically, I will say that the song is powerful. And I don't mean powerful in the sense that the odor from an overflowing garbage can baking in the sun is powerful, though it is powerful in that sense as well. And there's no doubt that it is a powerfully awful garbage song and part of the music industry's increasingly successful plot to make everybody dumber. But when I say powerful, I mean really that there are some important lessons we can learn from all of this. The first is that if you don't want people making comments about your body, don't run around half naked while insisting that everybody look at your body. Okay? It's a fact of life that if you purposefully put an intimate aspect of yourself on display to the world, you are going to hear the world's opinions about it. Don't want the world's opinions? Keep it to yourself. You might say that the world should have better manners, you know, and maybe, maybe it should, but it doesn't. And at a certain point, you need to start operating within reality as it is actually constructed. Also, manners run both ways. It is bad manners to walk around with your, quote, ass hanging out, in Lizzo's words. And in fact, when you do that, and you call attention to it, and you say, hey, everybody, look, my ass is hanging out, the people who have been subjected to that site are, I would say, not only within their rights, but within the bounds of proper etiquette to say something like, wow, gross, can you please stop that? The idea that people have today is that they should have the right to flaunt themselves, their bodies, their personal lives, every personal detail about them, revealing every crack and crevice of themselves to the public, if you'll pardon the phrase, and that they should also get to determine how the public reacts to that ghastly spectacle. But it doesn't work that way. And again, this is not only about showing off your body. These days, people like to show off many other things, all of the most personally intimate details about them and then become deeply traumatized when strangers honestly react to it. They want us to know their business, but also to stay out of their business. It is schizophrenic and ridiculous. Also, there's something else. Note how Lizzo fronts as this confident, body-positive, boisterous, bold, self-esteem warrior, and yet in reality, breaks down in tears because a few random people on the internet insulted her. I mean, Lizzo is roundly praised almost everywhere, by almost everyone. She's rich and famous, beloved, highly acclaimed. She's won awards. She's, run, she's won commendations of all kinds. The entire media is ready to print headlines congratulating her or consoling her, whatever she needs. She lives in this echo chamber of adulation and yet crumbles if the slightest criticism leaks through the cracks. Now, some of us, like yours truly, are also very harshly judged and criticized on the internet and yet are certainly not engulfed in flattery nearly to the same extent. And uh, we don't cry over mean comments. Least of all, would we cry publicly, live streaming it for the world to see. So what's going on here? Well, this is more evidence of what should already be obvious. The body positivity stuff, the self-esteem on steroids stuff, the look at me, I'm so beautiful and awesome posturing that you get from pop stars and from normal people also in this culture these days. That's all an act. It's all a form of overcompensation, a way to disguise their crippling insecurities. People don't go around showing off their bodies, flaunting themselves, 
talking about how great and amazing and beautiful they are if they are actually confident in themselves. Confident people wear normal clothing and go about their day. They are body positive in the sense that they don't spend an exorbitant amount of time thinking about their bodies. They are not immersed in thoughts about their own bodies. And they certainly don't need you to think about their bodies. So what we call body positivity is actually body affirmation. The people who constantly announce to the world that they're body positive are actually saying that they need affirmation. They need you to notice them and then notice their bodies and respond in a certain way. They say they don't care, they don't care about anybody's opinion, but, but literally the exact opposite is true. There is nothing they value more than everybody's opinion. They live for your approval. They need it like they need air and water. But putting Lizzo's specific case aside for a moment, I think it's interesting to think about how we got to this point where so many people are so totally dependent upon public affirmation and approval. We've talked about that problem quite a bit. How did we get here? Why is it like this? Well, I think one obvious culprit is the internet. You know, as most kids grow up on the internet, are raised by the internet in many ways, they become conditioned to this environment where everything you do and say is a public spectacle and you receive an immediate judgment from your audience. You do something, say something, post something, and your audience responds right away with either applause or affirmation, jeers or disapproval, thumbs up or thumbs down. Nice comments or mean comments. Jerry Seinfeld once said that when he's on the stage, he gets a performance review every 30 seconds because the crowd laughs at the joke or not. And so it's different from other you know, kinds of jobs where you get a performance review every month or whatever. And when you're on the stage, it's like it's an immediate thing. The feedback is also blunt, right? Well, now everybody is on a stage of sorts. Our kids grow up on one where they receive those rapid-fire performance reviews every hour of every day. They become conditioned to depend on those reviews, always seeking the dopamine hit that comes with a positive evaluation. And because they live for positive feedback, their greatest fear is criticism, negative feedback. Criticism starts to feel almost like a, almost like a physical danger, something that threatens to undermine their very existence. Now, if this sounds like a horrible way to condition children, and like a recipe for a society full of fragile, non-functioning crybabies, well, welcome to America, circa 2021. Lizzo is the poster child for everything that has just been described, which explains her popularity, but also explains why she is today finally canceled. Again, I think. I think this is like the third time. Hasn't set in yet. We'll keep going. And that'll do it for us today. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Godspeed. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Walsh Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Production manager, Pavel Vodosky. The show is edited by Sasha Tolmachov. Our audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is done by Nika Geneva. And our production coordinator is McKenna Waters. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2021. MSNBC calls the Taliban takeover peaceful. CNN dubs the terrorists friendly. And Joe Biden blames everybody but himself for the collapse of Afghanistan. Check it out on The Michael Knowles Show.